Question, what was your first language? What was your first language? If your first language was Tagalog, raise your hand. There we go. Uh, okay. Uh, if your first language was Hindi, raise your hand. Okay. If your first language was Malayalam, raise your hand. Wow. Matt Zilstra. If your first language was Portuguese, raise your hand. <laughs> Oi. If your first language was English, raise your hand. Okay, so we have a variety of first languages in here. Now, there's a trick. here's a trick question for you. What is the first language of every person on planet Earth? It is not love. It is not love. It's sin. Sin is the first language of every person on Earth. Now, I'm going to be giving you basically a 15-minute TED-style talk, and then we're going to have a panel discussion with the elders. So uh, I sent earlier on the Cove Hope men's WhatsApp group uh, what's called a Slido, where you can post questions. We'll take some questions from that. We'll also take live questions. And um, I'm going to introduce the topic of understanding and fighting sin. It's not going to be a comprehensive talk because it's only 15 minutes long. But I want to introduce it. The first language of every person on the planet is sin. Rosaria Butterfield is an author, a Christian author, and she says, sin is our first language. Because of this, we need additional help to see it, repent of it, fight it, and flee from it. Indeed, the Christian's daily task is to hate your sin without hating yourself and drive a hundred fresh nails into your indwelling sin every day. Brothers, I come to you giving you this talk and, and all of the elders that will sit here in front of you, we are fellow sinners. We continue to battle sin in our lives. And I will tell you that this past week, I lost the battle probably multiple times with sin, whether it be sin in my mind, sin in my words, sin in my actions. I lost the battle. But we fight on, all of us, we fight on because of Christ. You know, King David knew that his first language was sin. He wrote the words, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We all speak sin fluently, and naturally. And we know sin brings death, don't we? Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now that's the bad news, isn't it? Romans 3.23 puts it even more succinctly. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the very next verse, verse 24, states the good news in the simplest of ways. He goes on to say, And all are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. As Christians, our sins are not counted against us. Praise the Lord. God declares us righteous and holy based on Christ's atoning sacrifice on our behalf on the cross. But just so we're all reminded of how bad the situation was before Christ, it's worth noting that not only did we all sin and were headed for a guilty verdict on the day of judgment, before Christ, we only sinned. That's right, the Bible teaches that we only sinned. It wasn't just a few sins here and there that were sending us to hell. It was our whole lives. Sin had total control over us before Christ. Sin tainted everything that we did, even the good things that we did. 
Even going to church before we trusted in Christ was sin. Even reading the Bible was sin. And you might ask the question, why? Why could, how could those be sin, Brian? Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith. And when it says faith, it means saving faith. Not the generalized faith that your friends in the workplace say, oh yeah, I'm a person of faith. But I mean faith, he means faith in Christ. Faith in the promises of the living God as revealed in scripture. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Or stated in the opposite way, Romans 8.8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We couldn't please God before Christ. No one can please God without Christ, faith in him. We did nothing that pleased God because we did not have saving faith in Christ before we repented and trusted in him. Now, though, in Christ, not only has sin's penalty been paid, but sin's total dominion and control over us has been broken, but not completely destroyed yet. And so we must fight sin. To fight sin is fundamentally to recognize it, oppose it, and seek to kill it. Romans 6, verses 12 to 14, Paul speaks about fighting sin. He says, Let not sin therefore reign or rule in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Now his command where he says, present your members to God as instruments of righteousness is really interesting because that word instruments is used six times in the New Testament, and most of the places where it's used, it's translated weapons. So when the Roman guards came with Judas to take Jesus away on the night that he was betrayed, they came with instruments, weapons. And so we could read that verse in Romans 6 as Paul saying, present your members to God, the parts of your body, your mind, your ears, your eyes, your mouth, your hands, your feet. Present your members to God as weapons of righteousness. You're a weapon of righteousness if you're in Christ. And you have the choice to present yourself to Christ as that weapon or to present yourself to your sinful nature as a weapon for unrighteousness. Weapons are meant for battle. They're meant for fighting. You know, in the first few years after I became a Christian, one of my favorite books on living the Christian life was called The Fight. It's an old book. It's probably hard to find in bookstores these days. That's how old I am. Um, but I, uh, in fact, turned back to it uh, in the last few days as I worked on this talk. I was reminded about how much it had helped me in my walk with Christ in those early years. Brothers, I tell you again, I am fighting with sin week in and week out. Two weeks ago, I was on my way to go meet with Nitin at City Center Mall, and I pulled into the parking garage, and I didn't pull close enough to get the ticket. So I had to open my car door and take a step out and grab the ticket, and immediately the person behind me honked their horn. Honk, 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 honk. And I was so angry. I was so angry. I, I, I actually got back in the car and I thought, I'm going to follow them in the parking garage. And I'm going to get out of my car and I'm going to, what am I going to do? I don't know. I'm going to do something. I'm going to glare at them. I'm, you know, and I, I was gripped with anger. Um, it actually started kind of this uh, cycle of the next few days 
of struggling with anger. I don't know what was going on. It just, I, I just became impatient multiple times. I confessed to Nitin when I, when I, because I was so upset that I desired vengeance so easily and quickly. Uh, and that's just one of the instances. Uh, another instance was uh, this past week I was on YouTube. I went to go watch some football highlights and um, there was a video, a new video by Jennifer Lopez. And I thought, well, you know, I, I kind of like dance music. And so I, I, I clicked on it, you know, and I was about five to 10 seconds into the video and I thought, yeah, I, I shouldn't be here. <laughs> and so I, I turned it off, praise the Lord. But you know, that was so unwise. I, I think it was a, a sinful impulse. It was foolish. Uh, you know, praise the Lord, I didn't watch the whole thing, but that impulse was in me. We are opposed as Christians by three opponents in our fight against sin. We're opposed by the world, people and systems around us that seek to lead us into sin. We're opposed by the flesh, our diminished but still present sinful nature, and we're opposed by the devil. Of course, the scripture says that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion. Paul says in Ephesians that we're in a battle against cosmic powers and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Those are the three. Those three opponents, the world, the flesh, and the devil, work together to lead us into sin, even as we try to follow Christ. And when we fall prey to sin, and we do fall prey to sin, every single one of you fall prey to sin. Sin grieves the spirit. Sin chokes off God's graces and comforts to us. In other words, it makes us miserable. That in and of itself is a, is a kindness of the Lord, really. Sometimes we experience earthly judgments. In other words, we might suffer for our sinful choices. Sometimes it can bring a bad name to the church and to Christ. All these things and even more that the scripture says. We know sin isn't worth it, don't we? And yet we sin. Now, I'm just going to take the remaining couple of minutes that I have here and zero in on the fight against indwelling sin. Not the world, not Satan, fighting our flesh. I think that's primarily where we face the battle. How do we fight? And I'm going to leave it up to the panel to answer most of that question. How do we fight? So I want to introduce the concept of that we fight with gospel truths and the Spirit's power. We fight sin with gospel truths and the Spirit's power. And when we fight, I want to point out first two mistakes that we tend to make as Christians. Two mistakes that we're prone to. Mistake number one, we detach the gospel truth and power from the commands that flow from it. We detach them. We separate them out. The gospel, of course, announces good news that's to be believed something that Christ has done, something that's true. And then the Bible also commands and announces God's commands that flow from it. Therefore, because of the gospel, because of who Christ is, then we should live like this and this and this and this. And that's, those are the commands. If it's true and you believe it, then live like this. And when we detach the gospel truth and power from the commands that flow from it, and we simply consider the commands, we just look at the commands, then we're trying to fight sin with rules. We're trying to tame sin with the law. But the law has no power to kill sin. In fact, the scripture says that sin is inflamed by the law. Give me a law, somehow I'm going to want to sin. Sin comes from the heart, and the law doesn't change our hearts. 
We may find some measure of success, of course, by simply implementing rules and laws and boundaries for ourselves, but chances are that our hearts will just trick us and trade out the sin that we were targeting with a more sneaky sin, like pride. Hey, look, I conquered this. I put in some rules. I got it done. Some people in the Colossian church were trying to grow in holiness by following harsh rules for themselves. And this is what Paul told them about rules as a means to become holy. He said, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Fighting sin through rules and regulations will fail, brothers. And I am telling you that and teaching you that as someone who's tried that over and over again. It's a basic impulse actually born out of our sinful nature. (laughs) I think it's our sinful nature that actually suggests, how about some rules, Brian? That'll help. Mistake number two is that we try to fight sin with bare repetition of the gospel to ourselves. Jesus died on the cross for me. He is my Lord and Savior. I am no longer a sinner. I am a saint. And you repeat it to yourself over and over and over and over again. Joe Rigney says that simply repeating the gospel to ourselves, and here's the quote, attempts to wield the gospel like a magic word, speaking it like a mantra in the vicinity of a sin or a struggle in hopes that something remarkable will happen. Poof, it'll vanish. Repeating the gospel isn't the same thing as applying the gospel to different aspects of our life in the fight against sin. To apply the gospel will mean growing in a mature knowledge of ourselves, being able to look into our hearts and see what's going on. Not just, oh, I committed that sin again, but what was going on in my heart? And seeing how we should live in light of the gospel. Or you could say that we use the gospel like a set of gospel spectacles to examine ourselves and especially our heart and our actions. Asking the question, why am I doing what I don't want to be doing when I sin? What what am I believing? What lies am I believing when I sinned just then? Because we're believing lies when we sin. The truth of the gospel, the indwelling spirit, God's word, and God's people help us fight sin. Now, we could consider all the different sins that we face. Anger, like I lost to two weeks ago. Laziness, bitterness, or gossip. All of those I've fallen prey to at one time or another. But I want to zero in for the last few minutes on sexual sin, especially lust. And if you're one of the few people... The few men who say, I have no problem with lust. Well, maybe this will help you help one of your friends. I want to state some truths that God's word either states outright or implies about sexual sin, lust specifically, because I think that when we give in to lust, we're believing lies. Truth number one, you were made with the capacity for sex and sexual pleasure. Every single one of you. Truth number two. God made you and designed you so that you could live a completely fulfilled and contented life without ever experiencing sexual pleasure. Truth number three is related to truth number two. The world constantly tells you that is absolutely false. Truth number two. The world says you cannot live a fulfilled life without experiencing sexual pleasure. In fact, the world basically says you're hardly human if you're not experiencing sexual pleasure. Truth number four. All sexual pleasure, whether experienced in your mind or your body, is only designed by God to be experienced within marriage and with your spouse. All sexual pleasure. Truth number five. Using gospel spectacles 
shows us that sex is to, in God's plan, reflect the self-giving of Christ. Sex should be selfless, not selfish. If we give ourselves sexually, we are to give ourselves legally, socially, personally, completely. In other words, in marriage. And I won't touch on how men who are married can actually sin sexually with their wife. Truth number five, if you're not married, God's perfect design for you is to exercise self-control and avoid all sexual pleasure in any form, including fantasizing and masturbation. And it is not inevitable. It's not a foregone conclusion that you will do that. Now, if you don't believe these truths, then you will surely fall prey to lust. Now, I understand that I've still not explained more about how to fight lust or any other sin for that matter, and it's time to turn to our panel for more insight on fighting sin. So let me ask the elders to come and sit at the front. All right, brothers. You guys asked a lot of questions on the Slido. Thanks for participating. And um, if you haven't, and you still want to, you can throw one in now. Now there's so many. Wow. Um, I'm going to start with asking a couple of these to the elders, and we're waiting on Mark to go to the bathroom, so he'll join us in just a second. Uh, first question, why don't we start with this one, and it is, what does it mean to fight sin? What does it mean to fight sin? Yeah, I think it was, uh, I think it was in that uh, Rosaria Butterfield quote, uh, the summary of it, it's to recognize sin, to um, identify it, to um, oppose it, and to try to, in the gospel power that Jesus gives us, to um, either avoid it when it's in the stage of temptation and we've not committed the sin yet, or to repent of it and follow Jesus. I thought would you anything. What does it mean to fight sin? Um, I've heard people say this to me, they're taking God's side against my sin as opposed to taking my version of sin, kind of holding on to it. So seeing sin the way God sees it. Um, I, I'm just being reminded of David's psalm. Psalm 51, he says, this is how he acknowledges it, right? Verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. I think it maybe begins by identifying our sin is ultimately against God. It involves other people, but it's so how can you identify if there's sin in your life? Mm-hmm. What would you guys say? I think for those who are married, like your wife can help you like a uh, point in some things, but I think as part of a, a faithful, com- faithful community, as a church, like having accountability, uh, I think we fight sin together, and I think uh, in this accountability we help each other to identify and fight sin together. Yeah, those things that Mark mentioned in terms of uh, wisdom, really, that, I mean, Proverbs is all, is all about sin. Foolishness in Proverbs is sin. Um, and so wisdom is righteousness in Proverbs. And so it's being in the right environment, which means, you know, regular, you know, significant com- participation in the in a covenant community called the church. Um, it's living a transparent life with one another. It's being God's word regularly. Otherwise, if you're not in God's word, you're not gonna you're not gonna recognize sin. You'll be dull to recognizing it. 
Would you really say something's wrong if I can't identify any sin in my life? Is something off? Why or why not? Yeah, I think I think that that the scriptures talk about how um, that, that we sin, and that Jesus, as he as he teaches his disciples how to pray, that his prayer, the Lord's prayer, is a daily prayer, and it, it t- talks about like forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. So, if that's a daily prayer that you're asking for forgiveness daily, but you can't identify sin, then I think you're out of step there kind of with, with Jesus. Um, I think one way that we can see sin in our lives is through um, the Word of God. Um, so if you, going back to kind of your previous question, in James it talks about how like the Word of God is like a mirror that we hold up and we can see ourselves clearly in. Um, and in Hebrews chapter uh, four, it talks about the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. So there it seems like the word of God is one of the primary means by which God's word kind of exposes us and and reveals our innermost thoughts and intentions and our heart motivations, which uh, we will give an account for. So that I think that helps God's word is is, is works in that way. Mm-hmm. Would you guys say um, this question is is it possible to achieve perfection in this life? Can we, with God's grace, refrain from committing sin? We can refrain from com- committing sin, but I don't think we can achieve perfection. That was a, that was an idea that um, some theologians came to the conclusion of in church history that uh, a person could could achieve perfection essentially and not sin. I don't know the, the ins and outs of exactly what they believed about that, but uh, I don't believe that's possible. And I believe that sin starts in our hearts. And, uh, you know, especially based on Jesus' definitions of sin in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, a lot of sin happens between your ears, um, in your brain. And um, there's sin that I need to, uh, I mean, there's sin that I need to repent of that just is um, sinful thoughts that I, um, that I nurtured in my head. Yeah, I've heard like a thought experiment like, um, you know, are you sinning right now? Yes or no? No, no. What about for five minutes? Could you go five minutes? What about an hour? What about a day? You know, and you're like, uh, I think it's a low view of sin though. Yeah. And are you going to sin? Um, I was reading this story about Charles Spurgeon when he was speaking to Somebody that said to him that he's sort of perfect without sin. John Spurgeon steps on his feet and he yells. And John's like, well, you just sinned. Uh, and, and so there's kind of that, that idea. I think it's, 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 it's busy. But I think one John gets at that. I think one John, you know, I remember uh, Parson Mark preaching through the sermon series and I was really convicted, you know, that line in 1 John 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I think John is sort of presuming that the life of the Christian is one of learning to walk in the light uh, where Jesus' blood cleanses us from our sins and it's an acknowledging that no, I am a sinner, I am going to struggle with sin and I'm going to need God's grace regularly uh, in order to fight sin. So I think you can't, yeah, it would be unwise for you to do that. What about this question? Are all sins considered equal in God's eyes? And with that, are all fights against sin fought in a similar manner? So two-part question. All sins equal in God's eyes, and all fights the same. So when I say I'm a sinner, I think whether I lied once or ten times, I think it's still the same. 
so that I am murdered or uh, if I have hurt someone, it's a sin. So I cannot uh, define the sin just like that. If I take an example saying that, okay, one bottle of water with a handful of mud and one bottle of water with just little bit of dirt, I think Instead, I can say that the sin that we have committed against God in any way, uh, I think that's a sin basically. So we cannot uh, say that, okay, uh, like, we cannot say that, okay, this is a bigger, uh, a smaller sin, but in front of God, in front of God, God's holiness, uh, it's a sin. It is first thing. The second, what was the second part? Uh, so the first part was, are all the all sins equal in God's eyes? The second part is, do we fight all sins the same way? Okay. Uh, and fighting about the sin, you know. First two thing that we see in the scripture, basically, how God uh, changes us. The first is basically the word of God that we were just, uh, Mark was saying, uh, rain comes down and uh, it was in Ephesians uh, and it uh, says that, uh, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but to water earth. And then it, con it concludes in this, it shall not return to me empty. So the word of God changes us. Now, um, the question that uh, just now Michael said, uh, uh, I can say that for different kind of sins, when you, uh, sorry, the two basic things that I was saying, the first one was the uh, word of God, which is kind of mirror true see our sin and the second the church church help us to fight the sin church means the fellow brothers and sisters so this is the basic principle to fight any sin this is the basic principle but uh, let's talk about uh, some practical aspect of sin uh, for example lying for example lying again the first two things first word of God will help us to see whether we are lying and it will help us uh, to fight this sin. And the second uh, thing that to confessing sin to one another. So this is the standard for all the sin. But uh, depending on the sin, let's say if it is adultery, if it is something else, we need, we need a different kind of tools to help uh, to fight those sins. Yeah, Brian. I think there's a, there's a question of scale, you know, sometimes Satan comes at us uh, as if it's a knife fight. Um, and then sometimes Satan comes at us with, um, you know, F-16s and tanks and wave after wave after wave of, of, uh, of an army with all kinds of weapons. So, you know, I, I think the basic principles are the same, but it's one thing if I'm finding myself frequently becoming impatient with my wife. It's another thing if I have a habit of stealing things um, and selling them for profit. Uh, you know, I, I need the scale of, of how we apply the same principles is going to be different. Yeah. Sir, it, it is, are you, is that your answer to kind of the first part of all sin is the same before God? Is that, is that what you mean, like actually some sins? Actually, it's the, it's the answer to the second question. Okay. But all sins deserve an eternity in hell. Yeah. All right, we're going to move to some rapid-fire questions, and then we're going to get a little in-depth in, depth in um, how to fight sin practically. Rapid-fire, Mark, you're just going to pass the mic down to each brother. What passage of the Bible... Have you found helpful in fighting sin? One passage, passive, each of you can share. Sure. Um, Romans 6 has been really helpful. Yep. Where it talks about we must consider ourselves or reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And that's helpful to remind myself of when I feel like rapid fire, brother. Rapid. <laughs> Galatians 5. It's a quiet time tomorrow. Uh oh, there you go. First John 1 4. Colossians 3. James 5.15, confess your sin to one another. Amen. 2 Corinthians 3.18, beholding the glory of Christ. That's how we change. Mm -hmm. um, okay, another rapid fire. We'll start at the bottom with Keshav. Um, 
how do you respond when you experience setbacks or failures in your efforts to fight against sin? How do I respond? Yeah, you gotta be rapid, you gotta be quick. Yeah. I, how do you respond? I ask my wife to pray. Ask the wife to pray, good. Uh, plead with the Lord for forgiveness. Um, yeah, I am defensive, but I, yeah, I, I think I respond, uh, yeah, trying to confess and then repent. Yeah, meditate on the gospel. Amen. Uh, confess to a brother. Yeah, I think about the gospel. Mm. Yeah. Um, is accountability a must in order to fight sin? Is it a must? Mark? Mm, to some degree, yes, I think. Yeah. A nuanced answer? Yes. Yes. Uh, I'm with Mark. To some degree, yes. Oh, some variation. Yeah. If you have not said anything with your life with anyone, then you must, yes. Yes. I would say it depends on what you mean by accountability. <laughs> Thank you. Can I say that? Pardon me. But I think yes. I think I know the heart of the question. Um, this brother asks, must we only use the Bible as a means of fighting sin? Must we only use the Bible? First should be better than second, of course, this would need to be some from others. Godly advice. I mean, I can think of if you are uh, addicted to medication of certain kind, that uh, there might be wisdom on how you think about the usage of prescriptive medication, but I would say you need God's Word. God's Word is like the fountain of delight, so only God's Word? Well, no, I think you need God's Word and some other wise counsel to think about. What else might be helpful? Yeah, so the question is like not only God's word, although like God's word is fundamental. Yeah, God's word and all the other things that God's word says we should do and, uh, and utilize. I agree with Josue. Uh, look at the birds. Yeah. Right? Which well, is in God's word. Yes it is. You're right. Um, what about worldly psychological wisdom? Can that help you? Should you pay attention to that to help you fight sin? I think at times it can be helpful, but not sufficient. Do you want this? Is this rapid yeah. fire? Still, We're in with a rapid fire. Still all rapid fire, uh, only if it agrees with God's word. Hmm. I would say I don't think so. I don't think. Uh, Psychological wisdom helps. Worldly psychology. Worldly, worldly psychology. Worldly. I did say that. <laughs> like sinfully, like what? No, I'm assuming they just mean not not particular. The world is one of the worlds. Yeah. I'm with Brian. The world means different things. Brian, I think it makes me think of Colossians. You know where. Worldly practices like asceticism, you know, it might seem like if you beat yourself up after you sin, that will help you fight sin. But not get to the heart. What if you're too afraid to confess your sin to an elder, one of the scary elders? Who's the scariest elder? I'm the scariest elder. That's Brian. Pastor Brian. What if you're too afraid to confess your sin to an elder? Let me just nuance that. Do you need to share your sin with one of the elders? I think, uh, first of all, I would say that uh, you should, if you have life, if you are sharing with some brother or sister, I think you should start there. Then I think, then if uh, after that, if you feel that you need furthermore help or something, then of course you can approach your elders. I don't think the Bible requires that you have to confess your sin to an elder. There might be wisdom in doing it, but I think you should confess your sin to one another. Um, so that might be the first place to begin with. Now, if you're afraid of talking to someone like an elder, I think you should maybe talk about why you're afraid. Mm. Yeah, you know, I don't think you have to confess an elder, just confess to another Christian. Yeah, I agree with these guys about that. You don't have to confess to an elder, but basically, you know, we know you're sinners, so it's not going to be a surprise if you come and confess sin to us. So, 
I confess mine too. Yeah. Sure, I agree. I've done it before. I've confessed my sins to the elders, and uh, it was not scary. Mm. They were kind and pointed me to the gospel, so I'm grateful. Uh, honestly, that idea that you might have to go to an elder and kind of confess to them sounds almost a little like Roman Catholic, kind of like that they're they're the mediator between you and God rather than Jesus. Could be. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about confessing internal sins? Um, should you confess to someone, for example, hey, I've been bitter against you, or I've been jealous of you, or I've envied you? Sins of the heart, do you need to confess those to the person you've offended? Sometimes. A little more there, Mark? What do you mean, sometimes? I think you have an example. I think if, if the person can sort of, if they're a little confused, but they, it's clear that you are upset with them and, and it's hurt your relationship and your friendship, then I think it can be helpful to say, hey, uh, I've struggled with this. Um, I think you don't, you're not required to, uh, like, confess that necessarily as long as you're confessing it to the Lord and seeking to repent of it. Yeah, yeah I agree. I think it, it, if, it, if it was borne out in some kind of actions or lack of actions, um, yeah, I think it'd be good. But otherwise, I think you just need to turn to the Lord. Maybe someone else you need to say, confess that sin to. Uh, yeah. I think it would be helpful to confess to the person that you're sinning against. Um, I mean, I don't think it's a must. I think it would be helpful. Yeah, I think so. Anything to add, brother? Yeah, so uh, this sin, the particular thing that you have in your heart against anyone, and it is leading you to sin, and it is continuous process, I think you should go and confess with this brother. Man, I'd be confessing all the time. That would be okay. Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> um, how? Mark, what are you in my study again? <laughs> Get out of here. How do we appropriately confess sin without sharing too many details? that might actually tempt the other person. Is it so kind of rapid fire? Or is it? it is. Okay. It is. Yeah. Uh, first of all, it depends on your relationship with the brother that you are spending time out sharing your life. So, again, at the same time, your relationship with this particular brother, you know, how is your relationship? And then, there are a lot of things involved. If he's a singer, if he's a married, so, there is a lot of wisdom in doing that, and it's mostly your relation and trust that you have built with him, that relation that you have. So, it is not necessary that you should share everything, but it depends on your relationship, and that's what I think. Um, I mean, I can think of, like, in, in a situation where if you are caught up in pornography, I think there are some certain types of pornography that you should talk about because apart from you know it being considered illegal in this country, I think would be inappropriate. I think there's wisdom in, in talking about it. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's also wisdom in oversharing or I think maybe sharing what it is that you're watching. I think that more detail. More detail. Yeah, a little more detail. I think that can be wisdom. Uh, it may not be the most helpful to share it with somebody who's also struggling with pornography. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I, so I think in that, I would want to nuance it depending on what the type of sin mm -hmm. you're fighting for. Mm -hmm. But yes. I think the details might be helpful. Uh, but yeah, I don't think they're a must. Um, so I think as long as you confess, and then maybe like, a, what I'm thinking is, if you have like an accountability, you would like a, uh, like deepening in the relationship to the point that you are fighting together and maybe you, you come to more details. I think our tendency is to share too little, yeah, generally right. speaking. So I think you need to check yourself to see, are you just saying, hey, brother, I'm struggling. So like, what, what are you struggling with? Are you really struggling? Are you laying down? Kind of giving up? I mean, I've done yeah. that. So. No. <coughs> Yeah, or, or sharing in such a way that kind of hides mm -hmm. some of the sin. Vague. 
Yeah, I think like, oh man, I, I really struggled with purity this week. That you might feel like, oh wow, I confess, but it's like, does that mean you watched, you know, an hour worth of porn, or did you see a poster in the supermarket and take a second glance? You know, those are different. Those are really different. Yeah. Um, but they, but someone might feel like, oh, I, I've shared enough because I said I struggled with <coughs> impure thoughts or something. Yeah, we can do that with all sorts of sins. I think that's where Brian and Mark are heading. I think that's probably where most men err, which is we share sin, but we do it vaguely. It's not specific. So it's like, oh, I got in an argument with my wife. And by that we mean I yelled at her at the top of my lungs. We don't share that, we just say we had an argument. So you feel, it almost feels like enough to share that your conscience is clean, but if a brother is not wise to press on it, they might actually not know what's really going on. I do know maybe some instances of people oversharing. Yeah. Where it's like, hey, too much information. Was, not helpful for I me. I went to www. Yes, that could be bad. Um, yeah. And that might tie in, I think there was another question about sharing with your wife. Yeah. Where I think there's wisdom in that. Yeah. So let me just read that one real quick. That question is. Um, how much should I choose to disclose with my wife about my struggles with lust? What would you guys say? That's a really hard one. I think it depends um, a lot on the maturity of your spouse and um, I think it's important for building trust. I think if you, you know, if you're even if you were sharing with other brothers about the sin, but if your wife was like shocked to hear it, you know, like I think that's that's just going to be harmful to your relationship. It, I think you need to trust her, and so it could be helpful to go into more details and things with a brother than than sharing all of those details with your wife. I think there could be wisdom there. Not that you have to not share that information, but I think like. For the sake of like, you're already sinning against your wife. To go into detailed information about the the sin against her, and you know, I think that could be harmful to your relationship. Rather than saying to her like, "Hey, I want you to know this is a struggle," but I'm meeting with this brother and this brother, and we're talking about it, and I'm fighting in these ways, you know, that sort of thing. But I do think that requires wisdom. I think it could be different from wife to wife. Um, come. Anything to add, brothers? Um, let's think about starting that conversation of confessing sin. Um, I think if you guys think about First John one, mm. confessing sin to another brother, that's one of the ways that you walk <coughs> in the light, as John tells us. How do you start that conversation without it being awkward? Is that possible? <laughs> no, I don't think it's possible. It's impossible. I don't, I think, it's imp- I don't think it's. I think it's impossible until you've gotten over the awkwardness of learning how to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I mean, I, I think I confess that I, I, I feel like I need to grow in confessing sin even more than I than I do already. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been talking to Joanne about that some. And, um, yeah. Yes, you can. I uh, I think that we can help make it less awkward by yeah. responding with like, hey, you know, I really appreciate your vulnerability in sharing that. It takes a lot of humility. Um, so the person hearing the confession. Yeah. 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 Um, and reminding them we're all sinners, and and remembering the gospel reminds us that the shame of our sin is dealt with. The, the the, the punishment for our sin has been dealt with, the power of our sin has been defeated so just kind of both those things one, thanking someone for being vulnerable enough to be honest like that yeah. and, and make them feel less awkward and then also um, reminding them of the gospel remove some of the shame and the scandal of our sin being exposed what would you guys say, and we'll just do this one quickly, is a bad response to someone confessing their sin to you. A bad response. Something you should not do. 
when they when pat them on the back and say, don't worry about it, brother. And Jesus paid it on the cross. And then you move on. Mm. I would never do something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have a response. Yeah, just if judging wouldn't be a like, kind of cool response. Just say, are you going to help? I don't think it's I think saying something like, don't worry, you got tomorrow. You know, okay. yeah, I know it's bad, but you know, you'll get better. I'll get better over time. I think that's not, that's not enough. Saying that we are sinning and we continue sinning. Just saying that you're a sinner, you're going to keep saying, don't worry about it. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some of the bad responses that I've heard. Shock, like, oh, you're a, you're a horrible person. How could you have done that? You're like, yeah, I know, I'm trying to change. Help me out. You know, I think um, often when I was younger, especially with uh, peer level relationships, um, a response would be, hey man, you know, we're all sinners. Just kind of like, eh, shoot. What do you do? Yeah, I think that's unhelpful. Well, I think you're, not, you're, you're saying that, I think if you start from a posture of defeat, they're like, oh yeah, we're all sinners. This is who we are. I think there's a misunderstanding of the gospel that, you know, when Christ dies for all sin, it, and he rises up from the grave victorious, it means that in Christ Jesus there is victory over sin. We can receive it. And so I think that sort of defeatist mentality, well, you know, just oh. yeah, sorry man. I think you're 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 saying something that you, about the gospel when you when you live like that. Often I think we we respond that way when we're struggling with the same sin and also not finding victory. Mm. So we don't expect them to change because we don't change ourselves. Um, what about a sin I committed last year? Not me personally, but person wrote this. Um, even though I've repented and not repeated it by God's grace, should I confess it? So something I did last year that I've repented of and I've not done again, do I need to share that with someone? Uh, maybe. I think the thing that keep, that, that the, even to ask the question makes me wonder, like, what are you afraid of? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if that sin was like you murdered someone and buried them in the back garden, <laughs> but I won't do it again. But I'm never going to do it again. I won't. I felt bad. It's like, well, maybe, maybe there, maybe repentance looks like facing the consequences for some of, of the sin. You know, so you might, you might be fearful because you're like, oh, there's still consequences that I could experience. You know, maybe like, okay, does I, you know. Cheating on a spouse. Cheating on a spouse. Yeah. I was being a little silly with the murder one, I hope, that no one here has done that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, cheating on your spouse or stealing a bunch of money from your job or something like that, where you've, you've broken laws or you, you know, those things, you should, you should bring them into the light. Now, other things I think, you don't have to confess every single sin to everybody or, you know, um, you have to confess those sins to the Lord, but you don't have to bring them out into the open for everyone, for every sin. Anything to add on that, brothers? Yeah, it's a good question. What's keeping you from sharing with others? Yeah. Um, what about uh, if I struggle with a porn addiction, is it a good idea to pursue someone? I'm assuming pursue someone for marriage. No, I, I, I think that if, if, if you're entangled and enslaved by sin, um, it's important to kind of work through those things before considering pursuing marriage because those th- because sexual sin doesn't stop when you get married. Um, I think, yeah, I think that it, it's not going to be the fix that you hope it will be. Um, Any other brothers? Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing is is that sexual sin is fundamentally selfish. So you're trained, you're you've trained yourself or enmeshed and entangled in a selfish version of something that God has designed to be fundamentally selfless. So you're going to take that into marriage unless you um, learn um, 
how to view it properly and break out those patterns. Now, when do you do that? Do, or, you know, do you need like a 100% clean record for X number of months or years? Uh, that's, there, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a harder question. Yeah, and even with that, um, I suppose it's my crown. Um, it's not that the person could not get married, like it would be sin necessarily, but I think all of us would not advise they get married, nor would we advise the person they're marrying to marry them. You know, let's see some growth and some track record of holiness. So you don't have self control. You're watching pornography. After marriage, now it's still kind of not helping the marriage. Will not help you, and then the problem with uh, with the self control which will remain same before marriage and after marriage, and uh, it will not help you in any way to serve your wife basically. And this problem you want, you might not have a good or better uh, like I can say godly marriage sexual life. It will not help at all. So it's better to confess and kill it, and then get into marriage. Rapid fire, lesser known sins that could fly under the radar that we ought to be fighting too. Just name a lesser known sin that we should also be fighting. Laziness. Lesser known. Lesser known. Yeah. Yes or no? Yes. Lesser. Lesser known. Laziness. You said laziness. Oh, you said laziness. I know. I can't hear you. That's the problem. Okay. Uh, gluttony? Yeah. Gluttony. Gluttony. Uh, bitterness. Maybe not lesser known, but very inward. Mm. At least where it starts. Yeah. Where the roots are. Um, passivity, which might be connected with laziness. Mm. And I think also uh, what we've been studying in, in Matthew mm. kind of makes me think of Anxiety can yeah. oftentimes people can think, wait a minute, that's not a sin. But Jesus calls us not to be anxious. Yeah. Also, Sermon on the Mount makes you think of self righteousness, mm. you know, um, or envy. Another one. This person asked, and this got five thumbs up, so people are very eager about this question. This question is our basic instinct is to survive. This also reflects in our careers. How do you fight off sin which ensures survival, i.e. keeping your job, at the workplace? So how do you fight sin which ensures you keep your job? What would you guys say? So sin that's kind of required for your work? It sounds like that. I'd say, I'd say like if you don't do this sin, you can't keep your job. I think lose your job or quit. It's not worth sinning against God in order to keep your job. Anybody else add anything to that? I mean, I think this is unfortunately going to be more common than... I mean, I've not been in the workplace in Dubai. I've always been in full-time ministry in Dubai. But I would imagine that it's fairly common that you have to do things unethical. Unethically. Yeah. And um, I think you have to deal with that somehow. Yeah. Like? Like maybe leave the job, like maybe go tell your boss you can't do this anymore. And forego the promotion or? Yeah, you deal, deal with the consequences, pray, you know, come talk to a brother or some brothers or some elders uh, to help you think through the steps maybe that would be helpful for that. Um, yeah, I was, I was, um, was going to say that I think more than survive, we should thrive in our journey to heaven. So I don't think it's worth like keep sinning uh, to keep the job. So I think that's important, like fighting it, and if that requires like to quit the job, I think that's wise. I think it might be helpful to talk about um, what what aspects of your job cause you to sin. What kinds of sin does it? eluded you, like I think of anger, rage towards my boss, um, I think you need to think and talk about why Why is it that your natural tendency is to be angry at your boss. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I think there's some elements of that. I think if your company requires you to sin, um, I mean, I could think, I mean, for, for example, I, um, I had a long period of addiction to cigarettes. If I got a job from Marlboro, it would be unwise for me to take it. I should say no to that job. Yeah. I just know my own heart. I'm weak. I'm too weak for it. Last question, brothers. I think. I don't even know what time we're supposed to stop. Uh, 30 minutes ago. 30 minutes. <laughs> You're definitely the last question. How should we think about sins that we keep falling into over and over again, but we feel like we're fighting? Sins that we just keep struggling with. Here, let me, let me um, read this quote by David Pallison, and then we'll close our time. This is what David Pallison says about sanctification. He says, there's no formula, no secret, no technique, no program, no schedule, and no truth that guarantees the speed, distance, or time frame of sanctification. On the day you die, you'll still be somewhere in the middle. But you will be further along. He says, when we lengthen the battle, we realize that our business is the direction we're headed. So I think that is a good reminder for us. If you're struggling the same sins over and over again, just keep making forward progress one day at a time. And we're going to make it to heaven by God's grace. Let me pray for us. God, we... We are amazed at your amazing grace. Though we are sinners and deserve your wrath, you've been loving to us. You've been kind to us. You've sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, to wash us, to cleanse us, to forgive us. We pray with that new power, the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be equipped and strengthened to kill, mortify, fight our sin. By the Spirit's strength, we pray. Make us more like Jesus Christ. And help us use our relationships with one another to do that together. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.